0: For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at CityWalkChurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Good morning, CityWalk. How are you? Well, we are not the Grinch here at CityWalk. We actually really, really love Christmas. And uh, on your way out today, in fact, you'll find some invite cards for our Christmas Eve and Christmas Eve Eve service. Pick up a few of those and invite some uh, family or friends. Uh, we're gonna have a really good time. This time of year, and you know this, uh, is usually one of those times of year, kind of during this season, that we find ourselves kind of getting towards the end of a, a year, and uh, probably towards the end of the year, you start to think about, man, you know what? Uh, I know I'm probably going to gain a few pounds in this season, but I'm okay with that because in this time of year, I'm thinking about, you know what, I'm going to fix that here in the new year. And so maybe maybe it's that time of year where you're looking at your your physical self and you're saying, you know what, uh, we're going to get this changed. We're going to make some some tweaks. We're going to join the gym and, and we're going to change some things. And so I will eat that extra cookie because I'm going to take care of it later. Uh, but, but maybe that's something in, that you think about, or maybe it's, you know what, man, we have spent too much money this year, but you know what, with this new year, we're going to kind of lean back into our budgeting app, or we're going to kind of lean back into not going out to eat every other night, and we're going to uh, kind of get our, our finances back lined up and, and hopefully not have as much stress. And, and so maybe this time of year is a time where you're kind of thinking about that. Or maybe if you're maybe watching online or you're here this morning, maybe you've thought about that as it relates to faith. And so maybe for you, uh, this year has been a kind of up and down year for faith. Or maybe, maybe you'd say, you know what, I haven't really been leaning into faith at all. Maybe you were hurt by the church at one time in your life, and so you kind of backed away from it, or or maybe this has just been one of those years that's been, seems to be really busy, and so you you found yourself kind of drifting away from community, or maybe drifting away from from church life, but but for you, you're saying, you know what, when the new year comes, I I think I'm going to lean back in. Or or when the new year comes, maybe you're saying, you know what, I'm going to lean in for the first time. And and as you think about whether it's your faith or whether it's another area of your life that during this time of year, you're starting to evaluate as, as things move to the new year, if it is your faith, if there is something inside of you that says, man, maybe there's more, maybe there's, there's, there. maybe, maybe this kind of casual, walk with Jesus, or kind of keeping them at a distance. Maybe there's better and more. Here's my question for you. Would you consider re-engaging with Jesus this Christmas? You're you're like, Chris, I I come to church, or Chris, I I do this, or I do this, or I check this box. That's not what I said. My my question is, would you consider really re-engaging with Jesus, not on a surface level, but really with an intimate relationship with the Savior. Would you consider that? And would you would you would you be willing, if you, if you the answer is yes, would you be willing to maybe take a step in that direction? And, and for, for a lot of us, if we're honest, and we've all probably thought this, no matter where you are as it relates to faith, if you've ever considered moving forward in your faith, if you've ever considered a, a kind of leaning in, maybe at a level that you're not leaning in at now, probably what has kind of come to your mind is this thought, and you would maybe never admit this, I would never admit this, but here's the thought that usually comes to our mind as we think about leaning in at another level. In our relationship with Jesus, and it's this thought: if I lean in, what am I gonna lose? If I if I move towards Jesus, if I kind of re-engage at another level, what am I gonna have to give up? And and, and again, we probably wouldn't say that. And because we know that that's probably not a good thing to say, but in the back of our mind, if we've ever thought about moving forward in our relationship with Jesus, whether it was at Christmas, the new year or another time in our life, we probably have had that side thought as well as, Hey, you know what? If I say yes, if I take that step, what am I going to have to give up? And, and maybe if we're honest, we would say this, that Jesus is a threat to our agenda and again, we would never say that out loud, but, but as we've debated whether it's, whether it's time to move forward from kind of surface level Christianity to really intimacy with Jesus, we probably have thought that. You know what? If I do that, it's going to threaten some of the things that I hold dear. And, and so we, we deal with that in different ways. We either... Take, go to the extreme and it's like, man, I'm going to eliminate Jesus from my life. I'm going to eliminate people that, that love Jesus. I'm just going to stay away from it. But probably for most of us, we would say, I'm not that extreme. I'm not, not like trying to push Jesus all the way out. But here's what we would say. We would say, you know what? I don't necessarily want to push Jesus all the way out, but I just want to keep him at a distance. I want to be able to see him to know that I'm safe and, and you know what? Oh, that's good. But I don't, I don't want him getting too close And maybe for you, you've you've experienced that. And probably, if we're honest, every single one of us have at certain times in our life, we've seen Jesus as a threat to something we think would bring us happiness. And as you think about that, there was a guy in the scriptures, actually a guy in the middle of the Christmas story that saw Jesus as a threat. His name was King Herod. And he's kind of the villain of the Christmas story. See, you thought that the Grinch was the villain of the Christmas story. You thought that the Grinch was the guy that, man, he, he, he stole the town Christmas tree, took all the presents. He was kind of the enemy of Whoville. But, but Herod was kind of the Grinch on steroids. He was the guy that didn't just want to stop this Christmas. He literally wanted to kill Christmas before it even got started. He was the ultimate villain of the Christmas story. He was the villain of what Jesus was about to do by being born into this earth. And I don't know if you know this, but if you're a history buff and you and you know anything, you probably have heard about Herod the Great. But Herod the Great was a really interesting guy. Herod was a guy, he was the king of of Judea. He was the king of the Jews, but he wasn't Jewish. He was a guy that was very smart. Uh, he was a guy that got seemed to get a lot done. He was ambitious. He was very politically astute. And, and in fact, to to show this, if you go back to your kind of history books and you remember a guy by the name of Julius Caesar, well, if you if you remember back to ninth grade history, where you were in and out of that class, and and maybe you were listening during this session, maybe you weren't, but you probably remember the name Julius Caesar. Well, for Julius Caesar, it didn't end well for him. He was actually murdered, and he had some people that were very close to him, a guy that, again, that you've probably heard, a guy named Mark Antony, who was Caesar's nephew, And another guy who is Mark Antony's friend named Octavius, who would later be Caesar Augustus, when when Julius Caesar was killed, Octavius and Mark Antony said, you know what? We're going to go find who killed Julius Caesar and we're going to eliminate them. And so that's what they did back in these days. You could do that. If you didn't like somebody, you could kill them. Uh, And and so they would, they were very powerful guys, and they went about basically trying to eliminate people that were against Julius Caesar or had anything to do with his murder. But here's what happened. They started to eliminate all the power brokers, and so it was getting narrowed down to they were the last two kind of guys that could be Caesar. And so they went from being friends and buddies and partners and, and kind of avenging the death of Julius Caesar to now they actually were against each other. And there was a civil war between Octavius and kind of his followers and Mark Antony and, and his followers. And Herod, he chose the wrong guy to follow. He chose to follow Mark Antony. And so he was friends with Mark Antony, he was friends with Cleopatra, he would put on parties for them, he, he kind of went, went to their camp, and, and he was all in for them. Well, the bad thing is, Mark Antony got lit up. And so because Mark Antony got lit up, Herod found himself on the wrong end. He had chosen the wrong guy to follow. And in this day and age, when you chose the wrong guy to follow, you get eliminated too. And he knew this. He knew that he would either kill himself, he would run away and try to escape, but he knew that Octavius, who was now Caesar Augustus, was coming for him. And so Herod did something that was ridiculous, unheard of, but courageous. And he went to the door of Caesar Augustus' home and said, I want to talk to Caesar. Herod's the enemy of the state. Like he's putting his life on the line to even do this. He gets to this opportunity to have this conversation with Caesar Augustus, this guy that he's been against. And he gives this incredible speech where he says hey Caesar you know that when I follow somebody I am incredibly loyal because I was following the guy that you were against and you watched me be loyal to him and then he says this today I'm loyal to you and I'll follow you just like I followed him and Caesar Augustus was so impressed by his bravery by his courage that he said okay you can stay alive and I'm actually going to make you king. You're going to be king of Judea. I'm also going to give you Samaria, Jericho, and Gaza. And so you can see how this guy Herod, man, he had to fight. He had to scrape. He had to claw his way to power. And so as he got older, he was very, very sensitive to anyone that would remove his power or threaten his power. He was kind of a control freak. He was very, very focused on his legacy. And so you can imagine, fast forward to now Herod is 70 years old when the Christmas story happens. He is, he's sick, he's not doing well, and you can imagine how excited he was when someone came to him and said, hey, by the way, the king of the Jews has been born five miles south of you. And so that's where we find ourselves, this control freak, Herod, who has man, fought and clawed and made his way into power. He's now trying to kind of cement his legacy as a 70-year-old guy. And then he gets this news that there's a baby that has just been born that people are calling the king of the Jews. And that's where Matthew picks up in Matthew chapter 2 as he introduces us to this guy, Herod, who is kind of the villain of the story. It says this in Matthew chapter 2. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem. So these magi, they're basically the wise men. So if you were ever a little kid and you went to preschool and and you got a part in the Christmas play, if, if you got to be a shepherd or a wise man, I mean, of course you'd want to be Mary or Joseph. But if you couldn't be Mary or Joseph, being a wise man was like pretty, pretty high on the level too. So being a wise man is a big deal. And, and this is the story. That these wise men, these magi, they come to Jerusalem because they've heard and seen the star. And, and Matthew goes on and it says this. It says, And ask, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So these wise men, they come to the city, Bethlehem and kind of Judea. And and, and in their minds, it's like, well, let's go to see the king. He'll be able to tell us where this baby's been born. So they go to Herod and say, hey, Herod, um, where's this king of the Jews, this baby boy? Where's he located at? We, We came, we followed his star. We came, we want to worship. We brought some gifts for him. And you can imagine how this question landed with Herod. He wasn't a big fan of this. And it says this, when King Herod heard that he was, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. Knowing the backstory of Herod, you know that, man, when, when Herod's disturbed, it doesn't go well with other people. He killed his wife, one of many wives, He killed some of his sons when they were a threat to his legacy. So, man, when he's getting this news, he's probably got a smile on the outside, but on the inside, he's like, all right, who who do I need to kill next? Verse 4 says this, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet was written, has written. So Herod, after these wise men come, he's like, hey, let me get my guys together. Like, guys, what's this idea about a Jew, like Jewish king and Messiah? What's this all about? And they're like, hey, dude, you know, the, like the prophet Micah, he told us about this in, in Micah chapter five, he actually talks about this and, and they tell him what, what Micah said. It says this, but you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel so they're like man yeah Micah he long time ago told us that this was going to happen and they they share with him this this verse that Micah said and for Herod this is the worst news imaginable I mean this is this is terrible news for him so Herod he's again master manipulator politically astute power hungry control freak So he's, man, he's trying to figure out what he's going to do. And so he calls the Magi in and he says this, he says, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, hey, go go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go worship him hey, guys, when you, man, thanks for doing the legwork for us. Well, whenever you find out where he's at, make sure you let me know. Because, man, I, I'm going to be right behind you guys. I want to come worship. I want to come give some gifts. I want to come in. This is exciting. But really, in his mind, he's thinking, as soon as they let me know where this baby's born, I'll take care of this baby, and the problem will be gone. It says this, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the, and the star they had seen when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. So these magi that have come a long way kind of following this star. This star is now over this home and they they walk in and they see at this point, Jesus is, he's not a little baby. He's probably a toddler. They see this baby. And because they knew who this baby really was, their immediate response was to fall down and worship. This was not any, just any baby. They knew They knew that this was the king of the Jews. They knew that this was the Messiah. They knew that this was the one that had been foretold that was going to make everything new again. And so when they saw Jesus, they were in awe. And and they just, they bowed down and they worshipped him. While they're worshipping this toddler, five miles away, Herod is worried to death. His whole life has been about preserving, protecting, and controlling his power, his legacy. And with this kind of clenched fist, his his plan is not going as planned. And so as these wise men are literally worshiping the king, King Herod is clenched fist, worried about how this is going to affect his legacy because this is and this is what i said earlier to king herod he saw jesus one way and the wise men saw him another way see he was a savior to the wise men but he was a threat to herod they they saw this baby very differently he was a savior. He was the Messiah. He was the chosen one. He was the one that had been talked about for hundreds and hundreds of years, and so when they saw this baby, this this baby, all they could do was worship him. But but just down the road, Herod he sees this baby like so many people still see this baby as a threat to his agenda, to his control. And so while they are worshiping, he's worried to death with clenched fist thinking about how he's going to distance himself and eliminate this baby who's a threat to his legacy and his power. It's why that, honestly, there's a little bit of King Herod in all of us. There's a little bit of King Herod in all of us, and here's what I mean. There's a little something inside of us that, if we're not careful, wants to use our relationship with God for our advantage, for our power, for our Whatever is good for us, instead of worshiping and basically saying, you know what, God, my life is, man, it's a blank check and and you fill it in, God, I I want what you want. I want to surrender to your plan. There's probably for most of us, if you're watching online, you've probably felt this way. There's times in our life where we, we wouldn't want to admit this, but we would find ourselves more in Herod's camp than in the wise men's camp. We find ourselves more of worried that Jesus is going to mess up our agenda or be a threat to what makes us happy than we find ourselves like the wise men who just surrendered, worshipped, bowed down. We're in awe of Jesus and what he was there to do. Matthew, he goes on as he continues to tell the story of King Herod and his kind of manipulative nature and what he really wanted to do. says this in verse 12, And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they, talking about the wise men, the magi, returned to their country by another route. So instead of going and giving Herod the news, they decided not to. They decided to go home a different way, and, and God had led them to do that. And then it, then it goes on, and it says this. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph, who was Jesus' dad, in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. It's kind of what he does. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. See, Herod had spent his whole life controlling outcomes. Even when he bet on the wrong leader, he found a way to control his outcome and to to manipulate his way to power. He thought he had controlled this outcome. He thought he had a plan to get rid of this baby. But then he realized that he had been outsmarted and that the wise men had left him hanging and that he was not going to get the news that he wanted from them. And, and because Herod was the type of guy he was, this, he wasn't going to give up. He wasn't going to be like, okay, well then maybe that's God saying I should leave this baby alone. No, he just kind of doubled down. And instead of leaving this baby alone he he didn't give up, and in fact, he gave orders orders that we can't even imagine someone giving. He gave orders to go to the town, and instead, because he didn't know which baby it was, he just said, "I want every boy two years and under killed i mean it 's hard to even imagine that somebody could do that. It says this it says he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity. He's like, yeah, not just Bethlehem, but just in case they got out and maybe are in a town outside of it, make sure you kill all the babies around too. And it says this, who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. So basically, Herod did the math. He's like, okay, they saw the star about this time. That means the baby is about this old Because I'm not sure, I'm just going to, like, say two and under every single one of them, I want them all gone. And so that's what they did. I mean, one horrible morning, soldiers rolled into this small town of Bethlehem and began to just slaughter every single baby boy. And and here's what's so interesting, and I I didn't think about this until I was studying for, for today, Mary knew this, Mary knew this, and she lived with this knowledge her entire life, and so when, you know, when God led them, and it'll say here in a second, when God leads them back to Bethlehem and to the surrounding areas, just imagine this, there's no boys Jesus' age for the rest of his life. His little team is empty because every other boy his age is gone. His class at school, no boy's his age, because every single boy except for him was eliminated. And, and Mary, she, she lived with this, and it's, it's, it's just hard to imagine that literally all the boys in a two-year span were gone. And Jesus, as he grew up, it just, that, was, that was just part of his life. All of his friends we either would have to be younger than him or, or older than him because there was literally no one his age that was a boy. Within the same year that this happened, within the same year that Herod uh, had, had given this terrible uh, command and all these babies were killed, Matthew tells us this that after Herod died, he died a pretty painful death. It says, after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. See, what's, what's super ironic is in this twist of fate, Herod, this man that was so controlled by making sure his legacy and power and he was remembered for the right things. The only reason that you and I talk about King Herod, the only reason that he is remembered is because he is a footnote to a Jewish toddler. That's it. You and I wouldn't even know Herod's name unless it was Jesus. He, see, Herod, as, as much as he wanted to be remembered as this builder and as this, this innovative guy and this brave guy and this politically astute guy. And as much as he literally gave his life, made incredibly awful, evil decisions to try to kind of hold his power together. Today we remember him because he's a footnote in the story of a toddler. And Herod isn't remembered as a builder. He's remembered as a butcher in the midst of a story about a Jewish carpenter's son named Jesus. Eighty years later, Herod's long gone. A lot of what he built has fallen apart and he's, he's not a big deal to anybody anymore. John who was a really good friend of Mary, who was a really good friend of Jesus, maybe Jesus' best friend. A a guy who would have talked to Mary about having to go to Egypt. A guy that would have understood and and probably had had conversations with Mary about remembering all the babies that had been killed. A guy that that was with Jesus around the cross. A guy that saw the empty tomb. A guy that, that saw Jesus go back into heaven and was now part of the the early church, a guy that was so influential and had seen everything and had talked to all the important people in the story. About 80 years later, John writes this in John chapter 1, verse 4, it says this, in him, in Jesus, was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. He says, man, this this life, that, that Jesus was just, it's just who Jesus was. He was life. And it, it, was, it was a life that wasn't just for a few people, but this life and this light that, that was Jesus was for everybody. It was for all mankind. And then he says this, he pauses and he moves from the past tense to the present. He says this, the light, it shines right now. Jesus is gone. Herod is gone. The story is continuing. And this this light, this life that, that started with Jesus, that Herod couldn't eliminate, that, that Satan couldn't eliminate, it continues to shine. It continues to make a difference. It shines in the darkness. And then he says this: and the darkness has not overcome it. And it's tried. It's tried all throughout history to overcome or eliminate this baby being born and and what was going to happen because of this baby. But this light, this life, this Jesus that even at his birth people were trying to eliminate, he can't be eliminated. The light he brings, it shines in the darkness, it can't be stopped. And John had seen it. He had experienced it. He had heard Mary talk about it. He had watched Jesus perform the miracles that we only read about. And John says, this light, this life, it continues to shine. And yes, it will continue. There will always be forces of darkness that try to overcome it, but it won't be able to. Which leads us to a question, and here's a question I want you to think about. It's a personal question. What will your story be as it relates to Jesus, the light of the world? What will your story be? What will my story be as it relates to this life, this light that can't be overcome? in the person of Jesus? What will people talk about us when they talk about us and and our interaction with this light and and what what we were about and, and how our life was influenced by this light? What will they say about us? Will they say that we resisted it as a threat or that we worshiped when, when, when people tell the story of our life and, and, and how our life interacted with this light, with Jesus, will they tell the story of someone who saw Jesus as a threat, like Herod? Or will they tell the story of someone who lived their life to worship Will they tell the story of someone who focused on building their kingdom or on building his kingdom? Will they tell the story about my way or will they tell the story about God's way in our lives? My will or his will? Because we will be talked about when we're gone, the story will be told. And so will the story be that we saw Jesus as a threat and we stiff-armed him our whole life? We tried to always keep him at a distance because, man, we didn't believe that his way was best. Or or will we find ourselves talked about like the wise men are talked about? We don't even know their names, but we know this, that these men who were powerful men, when they came across this baby Jesus, they worshipped him. They surrendered to him. They bowed down to him. Because here's the truth. Maximum fulfillment is found in living your life for God's glory. Herod did not believe this. And if I'm, if I'm honest, I haven't always lived a life that showed I believe this. And I would guess you would say the same thing. I would guess if we passed the microphone around... That we would say that there's been times in our life, even if you're a follower of Jesus, that you'd say, you know what? I might have said this with my mouth, but I sure didn't live this with my life. See, I I looked at Jesus as somebody that was kind of going to box me in a little bit and and, and stop me from really living life the way I wanted to and, and, and enjoying life the way I thought I was supposed to. But but this idea, and this is where, man, all throughout scripture, you see example after example of when people realize that God's way is best, that the fulfillment that they were looking for, the fulfillment that they were striving for and going to other places to get, they actually find when they believe that God's way is best and they live their life for God's glory. Because here's the thing. Every step towards surrender is a step toward freedom. Let that sink in. This sentence doesn't make sense. Surrender, isn't that slavery? If I'm surrendering to something, I'm actually being enslaved by it, right? Well, in a lot of cases, yes. But when it comes to God, every step towards surrender is a step towards freedom. And again, we we could literally pass the microphone around. And I because I know some of you, and you know my story, and I know some of your stories, and we've talked about this. You've told me about times in your life where, man, you thought freedom was outside of God's plan and outside of God's will. And, and as you were moving in that area, you realized that this was actually slavery. But when you turned and you said, you know what? No, my way is not best. God's way is best. You found that, man, that was actually where the freedom was. Every step towards surrender is a step toward freedom. And this is something that Herod never experienced. And Herod's not the only one. All throughout history, people have believed the lie that surrender to God and His plan is slavery. All the while they are saying that, enslaved. See, one day, someone's going to be forced to tell your story. They're either going to make stuff up, We've all been to funerals where we're like, you talking about the same guy I knew? I mean, let's be honest. I've, I've had to do some of those funerals where like, I technically can't lie, but I don't want to make the mom cry. So let me, let me make this sound as good as it is, even though your son was a scoundrel. Uh, but, but you know, at, at some point we're going to be in a room and we're going to be talking about you and you're going to be in a room and you're going to be talking about me. And either people are going to have to get up and make stuff up or go really far back to when we were a little kid to remember something good that we did, or they're going to remember how we interacted with the light and how, man, even though we weren't perfect, God used us. Even though we had tremendous ups and downs, we were a faithful example through it. Even though there was a time that we drifted, we re-engaged and found freedom. See, when we surrendered, God took our brokenness, our failure, our wrong choices, and he used them for his eternal purposes, and people are going to rejoice when they talk about that, when they talk about our lives and how though we weren't perfect, we were surrendered. Surrendered. And how God used that surrender to take all the brokenness, all the messiness, all the past, and he used it for something that will outlast us in eternity. So here's the question. What story will your life tell? What story will your life tell? Because it's going to tell a story. And somebody's going to get up at the end of your life and talk about your life. What story will your life tell? And probably if you're watching online or you're here this morning and there's probably something inside of you that says, you know what? I hope it tells the story of Jesus. I hope my story exemplifies grace love, faithfulness, unselfishness. I hope that my story is a story of becoming more like Jesus. That's what I hope. But Chris, how do I do that? Because, you know, hope, hope isn't a strategy. Like, hope's great. Yeah, hope, hope that happens. But a lot of people have hoped a lot of things would happen that never really happened. So, so how, what, do I, what can I tangibly do to move towards one day my story reflecting the grace and the forgiveness and the faithfulness and the unselfishness of Jesus? What can I do? And for me, it comes down to this one statement. Pursue what you want to be true. Let me say this, this again. Chris, how? how? How do I do this? How? Man, I, I, I want my story to, to be a story that exemplifies Jesus. And I want my story to, to be about God's glory. I want my story to, to be reflective of, of grace and forgiveness and unselfishness and love. I want, I want that. Pursue what you want to be true. Because we can want it. But if we don't pursue it, it's probably not going to happen. I can want to lose 10 pounds. And uh, if I show up at Dunkin' Donuts every morning, probably not going to go well. I, I, I can want to have a better kind of situation financially. But if I'm maxing out all my credit cards and I'm not paying, paying those down, then you know what? I can want it. I can hope for it but if I don't pursue it, it won't become true. I can want a relationship with Jesus. I can want to exemplify things that Jesus exemplified. I can want to make an eternal impact in my life, but if I don't pursue it, it will not happen. Pursue what you want to be true. So pursue Jesus by reading his word. Pursue Jesus by reading his word. God, I want to be more like Jesus. I want my story to be that. Pursue him by spending time in his word. Chris, where where do I even start? Maybe just start with Matthew. Maybe open your Bible to Matthew or to Luke and just man read a chapter a day and just start to to read on a consistent basis about Jesus and about what he did on this earth and, and ask God, God, would you use this to speak to me? I want to see you in the scriptures. Pursue him by spending time in his word. And then, then maybe, maybe another thing is, man, pursue Jesus in community with other Jesus followers. Maybe for you, a real tangible step is, man, In the new year, I'm going to join a city group. I'm going to join a group with with other followers of Jesus who aren't perfect, but they're pursuing Jesus in their life. And so if I want my story to be one that is one of pursuing Jesus, then I need to be around other people that are doing that, that can encourage me. And so I'm not going to go into the new year, and I'm not going to go in there with a, a strategy of hoping. I'm going to go into the new year with a strategy of pursuing What I want to be true. The sad thing about this story is that all along as Herod was doing everything he could to save himself to save his legacy to be remembered for something to be powerful all along Five mountain miles down the road, he missed what would have changed his life forever. And may that never be our story. May it never be our story that we were pursuing things outside of God, and all along, Jesus was waiting. He was waiting to bring fulfillment that we can't imagine. And we stiff armed him. May that never be our story. Let's pray. As we close, whether you're watching online or you're here, I just want to close in prayer. And before we do, I just just want to ask you a few things. If you're here or maybe you're watching online and you would say, Hey, Chris, man, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. Chris, there's been a time in my life where I've come to God and I have admitted to Him that I'm a sinful person. I believed that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave for me and I put my faith in Him. There's been a time when I've done that. And I'm a follower of Jesus. Well, if that's you, and I know there's a lot of you here and some of you that are watching online, what story do you want your life to tell? Just think about that question. Whether you're 17 or you're 97, what story do you want your life to tell? Do you have it in your mind? With that in your mind, think about this, is what you are pursuing going to lead you to tell that story with your life? Is what you're pursuing going to lead you to be able to tell that story? And if not, are you willing to change? Are you willing to change? Are you willing to turn away from those things? It's called repentance. And turn to Jesus and surrender. Maybe maybe God's working in your heart about some specific things right now. And there's some specific things that for you, you know you're pursuing that are not going to help you tell the story you want to be told about your life. And maybe in this moment, you would just surrender those to God. You would just repent. You would agree with God and say, God, these things are not your best. These things are sinful. This relationship, this habit, whatever it is. God, it's not going to help me tell the story I want to tell with my life. I need to turn away from it. Maybe in this moment you would do that. And and as you turn away, you're going to turn towards Jesus and you're going to begin to pursue him by spending time in his word and surrounding yourself with people who are also pursuing him. Maybe you're a young adult and, and, and in your mind you're saying this to yourself you know what I'll do that one day when I get older the Bible says this it's appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment every one of us has an appointment with death that's already been set and that appointment isn't when you're a hundred it's different for all of us for some of us it might be but for some of us it might be when we're 20 and so don't wait. Surrender. Maybe you're here or you're watching online and you'd say, Chris, I don't have a relationship with God. I've, I've maybe been hurt by religion at some point in your life or you've kind of walked away from some people because they hurt you and they, they said they were followers of Jesus. or you, There's just reasons that you haven't ever pursued it in your life and, and you're at a spot where you're like, man, I'd, I'd, I'd be interested in, in doing this. I'd, I'd be interested in starting a relationship with God. How would I do that? With every head bowed and every eye closed, you can do that right now. Just between you and God. If you're watching online or you're here, just between you and God, just tell God that. Tell God, God, just your heart to God's. God, I I admit to you, I've done things my way. Just tell him, God, I admit to you, I've, I've sinned. Tell him. And then just tell him, God, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross and pay for my sin. Tell him, I believe that Jesus rose from the grave. And then just give God an invitation. God, based on that belief, would you come into my life? I want a relationship with you. Transform me. Just tell them. If you're here and you made a decision, or or maybe you're watching online and you, as I was praying out loud, you were praying to God in your heart, and you made a decision to start a relationship with God today, would you be willing to just let us know that? If you're watching online, you can go to citywalk.cc. There's a decision card you can fill out. We'll get it. If you're here, there's a decision card right in front of you. We just want to know about your decision. We want to rejoice with you. We'll call you once this week to make sure you understand If see if you have any questions. And so if you made a decision for Christ or maybe you have a prayer request and, and, and you want somebody to pray for you or with you, you can fill out that prayer card in front of you and just drop that in the offering basket on the way out and we would love to partner with you on your decision or your prayers. Lord, I thank you for what you did when you came and you came to bring freedom. You came to bring life and light. And Lord, I pray that today that we would lean in and that we would pursue you in Jesus name. Amen.